Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Why This Film, the podcast where we reach back into your childhood, pluck out a movie, give it a rewatch, and have a chat about it. I'm Emily Slade, and welcome back. You watched it so many times before, and now you're gonna watch it again. But it's been so many years since you last saw it, and now you show it to your friends, and they're like, What? What am I watching? Why? Th- what? what? Why? Why this film? And I'm joined today by Alex Helm. Hello. Hello there. (laughs) Welcome, welcome. And his chosen movie was 1947's Black Narcissus, the IMDb breakdown. After opening a convent in the Himalayas, five nuns encounter conflict and tension, both with the natives and also within their own group, as they attempt to adapt to their remote, exotic surroundings. What is your relationship with this movie? Well, the first time I saw it, I was about five or six, and it was on a Sunday, preparing to have my uh, Sunday roast. So I always have that connection with that film. And I think I've seen it several times on a Sunday since. It's a very Sunday night movie, those big... Well, historically, BBC used to put uh, a Saturday movie on like two or three o'clock. And, yeah, you used to sit down with a family and have a roast and watch a film. It's an interesting one. When you said it and I looked it up and it's like a a psychological thriller with nuns in Deborah Kerr from the 40s, I was like, what? Um, But the director is, I'm going to say, Mike Powell, am I correct? Yeah, Michael Powell, yeah. Who I believe also did The Red Shoes, uh, which is one of my fucking all-time favourite movies. Um, it's stunning. Are they yeah, all it's, the thing that attracted has always attracted me to his films is just they are the colour is vibrant, the lighting is yeah. painterly. It, it all comes from Jack Carv- Cardiff, who's uh, well a very hugely influential cinematographer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he pioneered um, cinematography and inspired people like Michael um, Scorsese. Uh, oh, Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese. Michael. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Martin Scorsese. I mean, when you look at some of his films, uh, like Mean Streets, they are, there's a direct reference to Michael Powell. Oh, and wow. Actually, he introduced Michael Powell to teach at his uh, film school in oh my God. New York. Amazing. And I think Michael Powell moved to New York as well, I think. So cool. Don't quote me on that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this movie is, as we said, it's, it's about... I mean, it's it's such a great character study, and it's mm. so brilliant for actors. Deborah Kerr was 25 at the time, and it, this was her breakthrough role. And mm. I know her from The King and I, yes, um, mainly and yeah. only. <laughs> but she's brilliant in this. She's um, she's absolutely fabulous. Uh, Jean Simmons is here, who yeah. I know from House Moving Castle, which is very early in her career, 17. and quite quite an unusual role for Jean Simmons. Um, problematic. But it was mm. the 40s. She plays a, a sort of native, and obviously she's yeah. Not native. That's the kind of thing that's a bit <laughs> tricky: is the representation, yeah, how people perceive that representation of different yeah it's, uh, ethnic communities. It's it's troubling because in this day and age, there's sort of no excuse for it. Mm. Um, and but so the nuns are seen to be racist. 
Francis. They are. Yes. It, it's not. Um, it's not. Re- it is referenced in the film mm. them being racist. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, they feel very isolated and and that uh, they're quite cruel towards the sort of local people. But but and the casting of Jean Simmons as a white woman who has then sort of been tanned and her hair has been darkened and yeah, it's it's just like wrong. <laughs> but. It, it doesn't wholly distract from the movie, I think. Her character is fairly small to the But she is captivating part. in that role. She's very stunning. She's beautiful. And the dance sequence. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's magical. Um, yeah, in this day and age, you kind of, when you think in those terms, it is kind of, ooh, feel a mm. bit slightly uncomfortable. But as a five-year-old, you don't. It didn't even really dawn on you. And yeah. I didn't even know at that time. Absolutely. There's some people now, you look as an adult, you see that's clearly not a native yeah. Indian or... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it, it, as I say, it's, it's like with all these old movies, I don't think it's an excuse enough to let them slide into no longer watching mm. them. I think they are still relevant. Gone with the Wind is still one of my... It's in my top five mm. all the time, and yes, it is so problematic in, because it's about the Confederates and the Civil War and the slaves are represented in such a way, but... Also, it gave us the first African-American female Oscar winner. So, like, mm. you know, everything sort of... You have to take things within their context but understand that it it doesn't slide nowadays. But it's just something that I wanted to sort of flag just to then sort yeah. of be like... Yeah, well, that's the kind of thing I was thinking about last night, how people would view it from a different generation. Um, but the characters aren't... I mean, the characters are quite humorous. They are, uh, and they are kind of uh, they're quite intelligent. You know, it's, they're, they're not demeaned wholly, are they? They're, yeah. they're kind of they add something significant to the film. That they add a kind of a bit of spice and a bit of they're kind of it's a kind of knowing mischief about them all as well. That's such a good way to describe it because I, I'm not going to lie. When I read the sort of synopsis and it started, and you've got these five white women in these full-on habits. Mm playing these nuns and I was like I'm not going to be able to differentiate any of them you have Sabu who is actually native yeah and he was a one of the biggest film stars of his time really yes he was in uh, The Thief of Baghdad oh brilliant uh, Jungle Book oh Uh, in that I mean I think we've forgotten about him now because it's 60, 70 years ago. Mm-hmm. But he was a massive film massive star, star at the time. Oh, wow. So, and he was, yeah. It, it's brilliant. And, like, everyone in it is fabulous. But I was worried that I was going to not be able to do, differentiate the characters, that, like, they would all melt Well, they're into clearly one. introduced, aren't they? But, yeah, you notice they, are, it's quite, they are all so different. And the they, nuns are introduced by the lead nun, aren't they? And you see so them. And there's a little up. shot for each character. Yeah. And they're described. And also, kind of the, the the general was introduced. Yes, yeah. In a kind of nice, kind of sort of slightly cheeky way. It's kind of. This is the thing. There's that underlying, as you said, mischief to this movie, which I didn't expect because my only other um, sort of understanding of nuns in movies had been The Sound of Music, where you had like Maria, who was like a badass, and then all the other nuns mm. just seemed really like lame and boring. Um, but in this, they're wholly human, and, mm. and they constantly talk about their lives before they became nuns, and you forget that mm. like nuns are people. <laughs> like yeah, well, you forget they're nuns, yeah. really, don't you? Well, if you didn't look, you, you know, just mm. listening to it, you would just think they were just because they have they are very human characters Absolutely. with their own Wants, human flaws, needs. which is 
Um, I don't think I paid attention to that when I was five. No. I think I was um, <laughs> sort of mesmerised by Deborah Carr. Yes. She gorgeous. kind of, the expression of horror and uh, discomfort of the things around her mm. is a common thread in many of her films. If you see the film like The Innocents, like a right. horror film, uh, just captivating. It's just something, that wide-eyed yeah. English rose yeah. that kind of, you can see why she was a massive star. Oh, 100%. That kind of... You wouldn't think somebody who is so self-contained and controlled mm-hmm. in a lot of the characters that she plays in yeah. various other films, that would be enticing. But there's something... Yeah, it's like... Um, she's like about to explode all the time, but mm. she keeps it in. And it's it's such subtle screen acting, and it's so It is, but it, well it's not done. dated. No. Her, her, her specific... Her acting specifically is not dated. It's not isn't at it? all. I mean, and she I is a very she's an upper class character, mm. but there's kind of a realism to what she does. Hundred percent. She's very yeah. grounded, very real. I've very always relatable. I was always fascinated by her. She was always one of my favourite actresses from a really early age. Yeah. And I've seen most of her films. Oh, amazing! And so actually, that... I was watching a film as I came out, which is I See a Dark Stranger, which is ah. another turning point film for her, where I think it's about the IRA. Uh, and she's uh, trying to help somebody and it's, it's mm. kind of a very dark thriller. This um, is the thing as well, I didn't expect it to be so dark. It's very... Mm. Black Narcissus is, is very slow, but not in a bad way. It takes its mm. time to establish all of oh, these uncomfort and mm. this unsettling vibe. Because it's a like, pace that belongs to the time it was made. Yeah. It's and not a kind of it's pace. It's very isolated. They're on top mm. of this mountain and the wind keeps blowing. And the blowing. sets, I mean, that's, that's filmed in England. Those <laughs> sets, yeah, those sets look, you know, all those skies and the mountains, they're, they're, they're paintings. They're gorgeous. They're paintings. They're well, really Jack gorgeous. Cardiff used to paint masters, old master paintings. He painted, so he had a painterly eye, which oh, you can wow. see. It's like yeah. a moving painting, isn't it? It's, yeah. It's, that's the first thing that you're all kind of taken aback by as a child. This like moving painting, the, yeah. This world that they've and painterly light on the faces of the actors. Yeah. It's just so. It, it is gorgeous and it is very dreamlike. And mm. um, someone kept coming in to like uh, tell me that dinner was ready or that like, mm. did I want a cup of tea? And every time I'd be like, fucking hell, because I didn't realise <laughs> how like tense I was. I'm so pleased you liked it. I really am. Like it, without even realising it, lulls you into this sense where you're just, you suddenly like take a step back and you realise that you're like digging your fingernails yeah, into because I wondered arm. what you would think about it. Yeah, because um, I but... mean, I do love old movies and I, I find it a lot easier than mm. perhaps others to go back into those worlds. I think it's because I saw it at that time and it is that scene, it, it's that specific scene right at the end on the bell tower. I mean, you cannot forget that scene. The build-up to it, everything. The build-up is perfection. It's like a duel. And the scene itself, there's this one nun within the monastery that's been... um, She's a bad egg. ...gone slowly... (laughs) When we're first introduced to her, Mm. she's sick and recovering. So you don't even consider her as a threat. Mm. Because immediately I was like, oh, well, like one of them's probably going to die. And immediately Deborah Carr's character, expression on her face when her name is mentioned, Mm. what does that mean? Yeah. Is she jealous of this person? This person 
gets beneath Deborah Carr's skin mm. and why. We're never really and told fully why, are we? Is it nature nurture? Is it the way they treat her that causes her to go the way she does or is she always just crazy? There's really interesting interviews as well where mm. the director wanted a particular performance out of the actress but the actress refused and insisted on Oh yes, there was few... And you get to see what the actress wanted and like... Because Kathleen Byron had worked... Well, they both had all worked with someone like Michael Powell before. Mm. Uh, Deborah Carr had worked in uh, Colonel Blimp, the live... Yeah. And Deborah Carr, um, Kathleen Byron had been in a previous film as well, and she'd had a relationship with uh. Michael Powell, which was very brief. Uh-huh. Um, but enough to have some well, She's included in one of his biographies, and uh, Kathleen Byron talked about it. And he said it, she said it was a complete fantasy. He lived in a bit of a fantasy world. Mm. It's about something like that, putting a gun on him before oh having sex God. or something. Something very strange. <laughs> it's wonderful, mm. and thank God she pushes for the performance that she that she's allowed to then give mm. because it, it is so perfect. She understands this woman because I think they were basically she with everything that's going on. She's she sort of becomes, severely mentally ill. Isn't yeah, she? she for want of a better word, she goes crazy. She's feverish. She's literally feverish. There's no colour on her face. Mm. She's got this gorgeous like red eyeliner mm. that makes her look so and you have a close-up yeah, yeah. Close of it don't you? it's iconic mm. and um, she's obsessed with this man that hangs out with them in the place and she's convinced that Deborah Kerr is in love with him and she's just convinced herself of all of these things and she goes mm. to confront him and he turns her away so she comes back to the the, the place and Deborah Carr goes to ring the bell which um, the bell tower is situated off this sheer drop this cliffside mm. and it's on the poster and mm. it's clearly that sort of vertigo moment mm. where like it's the massive uh, climax of the movie when you consider so when it's made 1947 it. that's before the film Vertigo or mm. the, the, the big kind of like rear window and all those things yeah the sort of big thrillers and all the kind of big horror films you know like the Hammer films and things like that predates those but it's all those kind of things. This film must have been hugely influential in that respect. Yeah. And so I was sort of aware that one of them was probably going to end up falling off that cliff because they set it up very well. Every time someone rings the bell, you're looking over the cliff, like drip drop of this cliff. And um, so the whole time I was like, okay, come on, who's gonna, who's it gonna be? Who's gonna fall off the cliff? Mm. Kind of thing. But even with that expectation of just like, I watch a lot of movies and it's very easy after a while to be like, oh, this is gonna happen. Well, I suppose but, um, now you've everybody's seen that kind of scenario. Yeah, absolutely. When I was five, you never seen it. that was really, really tense. That bit was she gonna? Because it's very close. She's literally uses her leg to. <laughs> to yank herself up. She comes up behind Deborah Kerr mm. and she shoves her off and Deborah Kerr hangs on to this um, rope. rope and she, like the struggle of her getting her foot back onto the cliff and mm. then eventually she manages to push Ruth off and Deborah Kerr's fine. But it's been an accident, isn't it? I got you... chills. Yeah. I honestly was like, even though I was like, someone's going to fall on that cliff, there's going to be a struggle and I got crazy lady. Mm. Even though all of that was already in my brain, I was fixated to the TV screen and I was mm. just like this is scary and it's so beautifully like choreographed yeah it's, it's like literally her leg specifically wi- choreographed to music she wedges her leg and basically um, Sister Ruth is accidentally swung over so there's no mali- yeah. malice in there it's not even a fight it takes it's a survival well. yes isn't it yeah. it's just an accident one falls off the end mm-hmm. because she yeah and it, it, it's, it's 
chilling. Like a shiver mm. went down my spine, and like it's just because so Sister well Ruth done. despises. She's jealous. Yeah. Of uh, the effect, uh, the attention she gets from the male lead, David mm-hmm. Farrer, um, who plays Dean. I think. Dean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I also think is the Sister Ruth character a symbol? Is she the dark side of Sister Clodagh? Well, because yeah. it, she br- it brings up memories of Sister Clodagh's past, mm. where she was wearing lipstick and she Gorgeous had a boyfriend yes. <laughs> and all those kind of things. And it's as if Sister Ruth's uh, fraught sexuality. Mm is a kind of reminder of something that she's put away and she's yeah the life before because it, uh, Sister Clodagh is trying to push something out isn't she she's very mm-hmm. controlled but it's a fierce control isn't it yeah it's and she's funny. scared and she's, she is very scared of Sister Ruth all along yes yeah but there is a kind of I think there is a jealousy on both sides or something it's, I don't know it's genuinely it's, a fascinating character mm. study I imagine it's the kind of movie that as you say when you watch it as a child it, there's a thrill from the horror mm. at the end there's a um sort of awe of the masterpiece of the cinematography and how it looks mm. um, and then as you grow up you can really see it for this masterclass in acting and this, mm. this masterclass of direction and these like true character studies of uh, Deborah Kerr has a monologue where she talks about her old life and how mm. she's trying to put it behind and it's it's so restrained but it's so emotional mm. and it's just it, again I was and like then she starts, you start to see the warmth in her yeah she starts to emote but then the minute someone tries it's to it's a very 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 clever performance because you I don't know about you but you like Cloda you like Sister Cloda yes, you, you, you sort of question why do I like Sister Cloda because she's very spiky isn't she have a lot to do with Debra herself mm. like you know when you just have those actors that you just warm to regardless mm. of who they're playing they're just charismatic and well in real watchable. life when you see interviews with Deborah Carr, she's very, was very charismatic, very charming, cheeky, very much a lady. Mm. Everybody talks very highly about her. That she, like, there's a, she spoke to, because as you said, Kathleen Byron had problems with some of the direction Mm. and used to get into fights with actors, but Deborah Carr never did. She said, Mm. well, I just let them think. I just listened to them and then do what I was going to do anyway. Amazing. Which is a good tip for everybody. Yes. Because <laughs> we've all had directors like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, usually an actor's instinct, you know, if you're a good actor, is... To just sort of go, <laughs> of course, smile, smile, smile. June Whitfield has the same poli- had the same policy because she worked with very difficult comedians. So, yeah, it's remember been, that. Yeah. Listen to the best. <laughs> tips, from, tips from Deborah. Um, um, but it's, it's wonderful. And... Because uh, these nuns are in these sort of white habits and we're in this lush sort of mm. um, setting, when there is sort of um, horror and, and not gore per se on screen, it's also memorable. One of the nuns comes in at one point covered in this red blood, mm. and it took me like a surprise. Like, Start. Yeah, I was isn't like, it? Jesus. Like, well, it, it's, ew. Very, it's a very, very, very slow build, and then suddenly. It goes crazy, doesn't it? It's not quite, you know, like a slasher movie or anything like that. But it's like they're all kind of building up, all teetering on the edge. They're ill, all the various nuns, and they're kind of struggling to deal. And the whole theme of the film is being out of place. Yeah. Being out of place, out of your depth. Um, I don't know quite, yeah, that's kind of fascinating, isn't it's it? It's so fascinating. It, honestly, like, I didn't know what to expect from this movie. Um, 
and it was just brilliant and it just it goes to show of that sort of back in the day when they didn't when they couldn't do Tarantino buckets of blood where they couldn't do CGI where they couldn't like put a talking raccoon in it they had to rely on storytelling and acting and craft and every yes. shot is so considered and beautifully crafted obviously yeah. there were movies coming out in the 40s that were crap and they haven't well, every lasted. every shot is a painting yeah every it's a painting one. And, and it's just time uh, and care yeah. is timeless, and it's like Gone with the Wind. They make these moments mm. that you know you can chop off as many limbs as you want in Hostel 14, but mm. when you see the baby on the slab and they're talking about how sick it is and that they can't oh, do yeah. anything for the mother, yeah. and the next scene you don't even see the baby. You've just seen it writhing and helpless, and they're talking about it. And then the next scene, the baby's not even there, mm. and they're talking about how it's died. And it's so gruesome. It's so gruesome and terrifying. And then you've got this hostility of like the natives have killed previous people for less. And it's like, actually based on a book, isn't it? So yeah. I'd be quite interested to see the book and where the book came from. Yeah, whether and it what, has yeah. elements of truth in it. Yes. Yeah. Of like someone's visit to somewhere. Well, my mum went to a convent school. Okay. Um, and her description of nuns were they're quite scary and controlling. <laughs> But the nuns in this film aren't, are they? They're no. all very quite well, different like, characters. I, I read somewhere that they're, they're referred to as working nuns. Yes. So I imagine there's the nuns that sort of sit and pray, and perhaps they're the ones that are stereotypically more cruel because they're more sort of like repressed, I guess, whereas these ones are like working in the garden and they're doing this and they're doing that. And all of these things keep going wrong. Like one of them was set to plant vegetables and six months later when the spring comes, she realised she's planted flowers instead so they have nothing to eat and just little things like that that mm. just let it makes you want like, to sort of do oh. some research on nuns, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is a bizarre thing in itself. Um, yeah, the only thing that kind of is a mystery is what the motivation for Sister Ruth being there. Yeah, it's, it's she's, interesting she's, and it almost feels like... Maybe she's pushed there because she's mentally ill and that society well. was stigmatic, at, you know, stigma at the time. Yeah, and like... She sort of, and even to be pushed into this situation, because at the very beginning of the movie, the sort of main old nun is like, she doesn't like. I don't think you're going to be a very good mother superior. I don't think you should have been allowed this opportunity, and I hope you fuck it up. Please take this mentally ill young woman with Mm. you. So it's almost like she's planted specifically to fuck Deborah Kerr's nun career Mm. up because this old woman doesn't like her at the beginning of the movie. When my mum was at school. She did her nuns that had done that kind of work. So she had, and they were all different nationalities. I mean, probably the film should have probably probably been better if they were all different, you know, different accents. Because often that's the situation they are. You know, they're all from like, yeah. Instead of all being sort of. Well, a lot of my mum's fellow uh, uh, pupils, they were all from different countries. So she was around kind of a lot of people. She came, uh, went to Luton. she grew up in Luton, which is kind of quite ethnically diverse. So she had lots of kind of people from Egypt and Ireland. And, That's amazing. Yeah, and the nuns were as well. So yeah, they had kind of a lot of nuns seem to have kind of a very they go on quite a long kind of spiritual journey. So which you can sort of see, it's not always kind of clearly described in the film as to what 
brought them to be yeah but they sort of mention it as that one nun that sort of like I keep trying to forget these memories and in this place they keep coming back to me and I I have to leave she ends up leaving and like Mm. resigning and like moving places and Deborah Kerr finally like cracks in this monologue but then brings it back in the other one goes completely mental can I often get sort of the impression about people who take that monastic life they're running away from something yeah and that's clearly the case with Sister well, yeah. Clona yeah you know, she, she's uh, definitely she's running away from hoping to marry a man who then went off to America without her and mm. whether it was the shame or just the sort of upset led her into the nun life hashtag nun life and she sort of is still there today and she's clearly so young and she's given all this responsibility and it must just be overwhelming to constantly be suppressing these like memories and these emotions to then try and live this life and I loved the um, none of them because I also read somewhere that this movie is set up to sort of make you think that a bunch of nuns move to a mountaintop place and there's a man there and they all fall in love with the same man and women will be women hilarity and chaos and really <laughs> that's what I initially well he is a very because like. um... he's charming and he's funny and he's respectful to their religion but also like grounded in what he believes in and they all sort of like him and Deborah Kerr has her sort of wry smiles at him every there's now and there's lots of sexual in an innuendo yeah in nearly everything he obviously is attracted to Sister Clover mm. It, it's very, very um, well written. I with censorship as well, mm. it plays very well because they wouldn't have been allowed to show a lot of things. And I did enjoy that these people stick to their values. But it's Nobody very kind of up with him. very subtle innuendo. Very, yeah, isn't it? It's, it's just brilliant. really cleverly written mm-hmm. his lines, and he delivers them very magical. Oh, he's. He's somebody who's very in charge of his sexuality, isn't <laughs> yes. he? That's the kind of thing. He's a, rep- he's a representation of the thing they can't have. Almost the outside world, in a way. And, and kind of the ma- he's very manly, isn't he? He's in his shorts with his legs <laughs> apart, kind of giving it some. Tanned, <laughs> muscled. And he's a very kind of he's he's employed them. He's their employer. Mm. Um, yeah, very chill. he confronts it's... them with a lot of the things they're kind of. Scared to scared of, yeah. yeah, and, and he's very brazen, isn't he? <laughs> very. And if it were made today, mm. 100% there would be a scene where him and Deborah Kerr's character kiss, and like 100%, they would just take it too far. And because no. just yeah. he just puts her hand on her shoulder, like after her like monologue where she's first, she develops tears. a sincere affection to him, doesn't but she? But she also Respect. pushes him away yeah. immediately, and it's like, no, 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 I'm yeah. still like a nun, and like she does put him in his place, and yeah. she said, like, that's rather inappropriate. And it's, it's brilliant yeah. because, like, as the audience, you almost are like, get together, you guys should kiss. Mm. Um, but it also gives more weight to the other nun's story where she's like, you love this man and he loves you and he should be loving me and I'm crazy all... now. But because no one does yeah. anything, you're like, can't fucking prove it. Also, no. oh my God. Like, That's the beauty do. of it. There's lots of so mysteries. Like, and, like, she's perhaps yeah. justified in her feelings, but mm. she's also, obviously, that's not an excuse to push really know what her feelings are do you yeah about anything no it's 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 through a glance that you'll have any kind of clue Mm. and you're left that's what's the beauty about what's wonderful is if you were told one of the nuns go cray cray by the end of this movie watching it from the beginning you might be able to pick up that it's going to be rude but there's the point within the movie where it could really have been any of them they all start to crack in different ways yeah it's a Flora Robson character uh, she starts to work us off so hard that she puts her hands out she's got covered in blisters mm. um, yeah 
they become all sick. Of them sort yeah. of, they're all sick, they're all up high top, they've got this wind. And then when Sister Ruth really lets rip, they kind of go crazy. Mm. And then the funny old lady's like, Sister Ruth! Sister Ruth! <laughs> and it kind of really breaks the tension, doesn't it? She's such a bizarre character, and I assume she was mainly put in there for comic relief. But, I'd um... never seen her in anything else up until recently, because okay. I watched Talking Pictures TV, which is just old films. Oh, amazing. You've got to get it. It's, yeah. uh, it's number 81 <laughs> on uh, digital channels, you know. Perfect. And it's basically, it's all kind of old TV series, all that. I think, I'm not sure if they've shown Black Narcissus yet. As I have it on DVD, I don't really need to go. Yeah. Yeah, it's just... Yeah, she's... Um, she, when we first introduced... She's sort of the housekeeper of the, the building mm. on top of this hill, and she's originally referred to in the letter from Dean as a faithful, dirty old bird. And I was like... <laughs> but she is a dirty old bird. Oh, we were in the 40s. But then you meet her, and she is. She's, mm. she's gross, for want of a better word, and she's violent, and she's crass, and you've got all of these sort of, like, very sort of RP, all-in-white nuns who are teaching the local children, just women, mind you. She's quite anarchic, um, isn't she? And this woman that's just like beating people with a broom. <laughs> <laughs> but it's hilarious, I have to say. It is, because the Gene We're... Simmons character, I don't think she has any lines. I don't think she says anything. Does she? The Gene Simmons character. No, she, she doesn't. She doesn't say anything. But she's trouble, isn't she? But, but she, what what's she, she actually does so done? Much in a look. I think she's kind of been promiscuous or something. Well, the she's there because is, she's been a naughty girl, yeah, hasn't she? The implication is that she has a full hold of her sexuality. And she's very, yeah, and she's very furtive but and she flirts course, with. It does beg the question as a 17 year old how much was in her control? You know how everyone wants to brandish. I'm trying to think how old. Catherine Howard I think is a Jean slug, Simmons was about 15 or 16 when she died. Yeah, she was a baby. Yeah. Um, and so you wonder, like, a 15 year old, regardless of their upbringing and culture, will not have that. They may think they want this and they may think they know what they're doing, but ultimately she was probably a victim of sexual abuse somehow and then she's been cast into this monastery and um, brought in front of all of these nuns and then a prince turns up and she falls in love with him. Or not even falls in love, the sort of implication is again is that she's this sort of femme fatale, like she's like hiding under chairs, like looking up at him, blinking. and The kind of representation, it's... I would say it's more slightly as a fairy tale quality rather than mm. sort of uh, putting down people of different ethnic origins. It's, it's more of a fairy tale it, representation, isn't it? It's not... Yeah, and I, is that sort of exotic, like, oh, look at the fun, promiscuous, exotic, which is problematic in itself. When other characters reference their kind of uh, differences... You dislike the person that refers to it rather than the person they're referring yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Like her uh, sister Ruth, you, you find you well, you think the things that she says are despicable. Yes. So you dislike her. <laughs> you don't actually dislike the person she's making the comment about. Yeah. You don't. You don't dislike any of the the, char- the native no, characters, do you? They're, they're quite and, endearing um, and... They do very much refer to the... They constantly bring up the, the story of the beggar maid and the prince mm. or something. But it's very much a fairy tale, isn't yeah. it, kind of thing? It's got, I think it was more innocent times. Mm-hmm. There's an innocence to it, isn't it? It's like when you look at film now, it, it's, it's quite... It's represented quite differently. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because um, when you look at actual fairy tales and that sort of um, buzz around when they first brought back the sort of Arabian Nights tales mm-hmm. and we started sort of stealing ideas from these cultures that we found exotic and fascinating. Well, and we Michael Powell and um, Emmerich Pressburger 
had done all those films, The Jungle mm. Book. Yeah, we um, had this fascination with the like. Thief of Baghdad. They're all kind of, of um, Arabian Nights yeah. tales and things like that. And, so it's a fascination. Um, an absolute fascination of it, where we were just like, ooh, this is ours now, and we'll make it look sexy and fun. And mm. it's like, there's problems with that as well, but I guess it is nice to have bought. I mean, in a way, the know. film is has an element of fairy tale about it because mm. you've got it's almost something like uh, Grimm's fairy tales, the black nun and the white nun, and they battle mm. and yeah, yeah. And, yeah. good triumphs. But but then it's not that simple either because these people are holy. Mm. It's all layers. It's all yeah. You don't want her to die. You want her to get help. But there's lots of symbols, isn't there? It's yeah. all. It's very. It's got the kind of symbolism that you have in film noir. Mm. Uh, the, the final scene where kind of two nuns are confronting each other—that's pure film noir. Mm-hmm. When uh, Sister Ruth puts on the lipstick, it's like she's putting, she's cutting her mouth open almost, yeah. uh, because it's like bl- blood red, mm-hmm. and she's using it as a weapon to attack. Deborah Carr. It's funny because you because she's horrified when she sees her put the lipstick yeah. on. She's actually she you it's it's a brilliant scene. Um, we've seen these women in these uh, full on habits this whole time for like an hour and a half, and then Deborah Carr opens a door and there's Sister Ruth there without her habit on in this gorgeous mm. red dress with her hair done beautifully, looking like a movie star. Mm. And it is a shock to Deborah Carr and it's a mm. shock to us. And it but it's so. It's shock, 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 one after another, isn't it? And it's it's so tropey to have the sort of evil, mental, crazy lady in the red dress Mm. with the red lipstick, but it's so much more than that. This is where it began, and it's not just a a sort of throwaway um, image to sort of make you think certain things. It's establishing Well, it's it's a kind of battle between heaven and hell as well, because Mm. they're up in the gods, aren't they? Yeah. In this, like, Himalayan mountain, Mm -hmm. uh, in the clouds. It's very heavenly. Yeah. And then there's this big drop, which is like hell. Yes, that's so she's, true. She's, she emerges from the door while Deborah Carr is ringing the bell. And she emerges the door like Medusa. Her hair suddenly turns into straggles. She's constantly got like sweat on mm. her forehead. I think it's deliberately meant to be like Medusa. Her yeah. hair goes into these very thin... It's brilliant. It's it's mm. so beautiful. You're right. Every shot is like a painting. Mm. Um, it really is wonderful. I mean that that kind of that scene alone is why I go back to it because it's yeah. it's yeah. captivating. It's yeah, it, it beautiful was shot. Incredible. It was so well done. It really, really was. I don't know quite what it meant to me as a five year old. No. <laughs> I just was. It's kind of like yeah. I love films that have shock. I, think I don't know what that says about me. But. You know that there's something here. Yeah, we all like being scared, and I think it's very important for children to be scared. And um, In the same way that when I would watch Gone with the Wind and they would do the scene where they would amputate a soldier and you didn't see the amputation, you just saw the silhouette of it and, and uh, Vivian Lee's face going, oh, no, I don't like it. That was enough for my overactive well, she's another, imagination. She's one of my favourite actresses as well. I mean, the screen just absolutely worships Vivian Lee. And the kind of she just basically threw her whole well it basically killed her, didn't it? Yes. I mean her she had all kinds of mental health problems mm. and physical health problems. That she would put into these characters. Well, doing, uh, was it Streetcar Named Desire? Her. <laughs> like, she was almost like a method actress in that role yeah. and actually became an infomaniac. She yeah. took, became the character. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, she did it for such a long time. She would, she did it for the year on stage, and then she went straight into shooting the movie. She couldn't drop. Kind of difference about those kind of actors is they were kind of artists as well. Mm. They knew how to work a close-up. Mm. Knew where the light was. They kind of yeah. knew how to measure the performance. This is the difference. Is like the, these films, the performances are not contrived, but they're measured. Yeah. The emotion is building up inside, so the, the emotion inside is real. Mm-hmm. But they're also thinking how aesthetically that works and balancing yeah. those two things and then giving you the kind of sort of killer punch at the end of a film. It's powerful. It's, it's powerful film acting and movie making mm. that you can't really compare to today. Well, the thing is, there's a kind of... In the late 60s and early 70s, there was a kind of big emphasis on being real and everyday which kind of was very inspiring at the time but really acting is not real life it's a heightened form of real life and really when you sit in a cinema for two to three hours maybe you are going for entertainment you want to sort of be moved uh, have something that connects with your real life but also take you outside of reality that's that's the reason why I kind of love all these old films I love all the silent movies where it's just they are working without dialogue completely and they just it's kind of movement and expression is everything yeah the time and the care that goes into them and the time it's like watching an Edgar Wright movie today mm. he takes such effort with I think that's shot. why kind of certain films lose the impact because uh, to move people there has to be a build up there has to be a journey you go to get there a lot of it's too too kind of uh, rammed in your face and, and you're kind of you're worn out by the end of the film because it's like yeah. lazy and simple mm. like not to shit on it too much but I watched Fisherman's Friends last night the movie which yeah. is five star all over the place a charming simple story but it was just a lazy film mm. it was just very harmless and easy and not impactful and quite forgettable mm. and it's just such a shame because it takes such a long time and money and effort to make movies mm. make them good make them stand out make them art they mm. are a form of I think art. kind of filmmakers in the early days as I understand it, had more freedom. You have more kind of characters, mm. and you still, in some ways, we moved on in terms of the representation of women. But you had early cinema. You had Greta Garbo, mm. who did not fit into any box in terms of the conventional female male. She just broke all, and she was a massive film star. She was huge, and. And then Catherine Hepburn came along Catherine again. Catherine Hepburn, who wasn't a conventional mm. stereotype. There was only one of these people, Marlon Dietrich. They're all kind of very unique people. And there's, with Marlon Dietrich, there's the, in Morocco, the lesbian kiss. Mm. Yeah, she's dressed as a man. Well, that's kind of, you know, it's kind of an awkward <laughs> thing to say. But she's dressed in a, in a tuxedo, which in those days is considered to be manly dress. That it's kind of all kind of things that do you see that now so much? I think yeah. we're going back to actually break the gender band. Mm. But things are so much more interesting when it's not all like a cookie cutter of yeah. when the people have uniqueness comes through mm. and um, they have this star quality about mm. them, don't they? That's just so watchable, and the camera genuinely like loves them, and you can create these stories around them. And it's 
it's it's fascinating and I think old movies shouldn't die out and I'm so happy that a lot of cinemas do sort of play them well the good thing about this Talking Pictures TV is it's promoting mm. uh, movie heritage yes uh, and I think kind of if you don't look at the heritage movies. you miss out you kind of exactly. you're missing something without a lot of these movies other things couldn't happen like we mentioned how this was pre-Hitchcock almost mm. and Hitchcock must have drawn inspiration from all of these things and someone else took um Oh no, that was something else I read. <laughs> you know when you just read so much trivia? Well, Martin Scorsese is the big advocate of Michael Powell. Because mm. uh, basically Michael Powell made a very controversial film called Peeping Tom, which has oh, yeah. is about prostit- involves prostitution mm. and pornography. It's referenced, it's not like a pornographic movie, but it was banned and it ended his career virtually. What? And that's why he lived in New York as a teacher. Oh. And he did make a few kind of. I think Tom is like mm, a cult classic. Yeah, in because this is 1947. Mm. This is when he was massive. And then he made Peeping Tom in 1960, I mm. think. Um, it was the it first was, sort of point of Yeah, he basically then, ended his career. Which is insane because it's now on the top 100 every horror movie ever made list and it's noted for its first use of a point of view camera. I think it introduced censorship as well or something like that. Yeah. yeah it's like, it's X rated. There's nothing X rated in my eyes <laughs> no, or it's your like eyes probably. Bovary now yeah. you're there's, like, a topless, there's, a, there's a topless scene in it. Uh, it's kind of there's subversive things in it but it's presented by old fashioned comedy actors yeah. and it's kind of looks very innocent but um, I but think at it's the just time, this, it must have been radical like, well there's you, a man that goes into a shop to buy a pornographic magazine in Soho um, which is probably something people even didn't even consider but it's so it's done thing. so comically yeah. you just can't really it's it, just the 60s mm. and it like ended his know, career our, like my parents were alive mm. in that time and yet this yeah ended this brilliant film director's career mm. it's insane um, I, this was it Black Narcissus inspired 2013's Frozen with oh. its snowy landscapes it took ah. inspiration uh, well, visually from this Jack Cardiff especially is was groundbreaking. He, he developed new techniques in how you know yeah. to use the camera I'm not that technologically minded uh, I've watched documentaries about him and he's just his career went on for about 50, 60 years he actually directed his own films which aren't really kind of uh, of note but um, yeah he was an artist um, and his view I mean you don't really get kind of um, filmmakers or cinematographers kind of uh, discussed in the same way yeah yeah it's so true but you know we've lost some of the artistry yeah I think so like um the award seasons these days are always actors, directors, actors, directors, and sometimes costume. But like, but I've noticed they're actually for showing old films at the main cinemas now. Like yes. they're showing yeah. um, I Kind Heart Coronets. Mm-hmm. They've remastered that, and they were showing it at the View Cinema Amazing. a few months ago. And I, I think, think it's so important. Too. That's such an important film to watch. It's mm-hmm. so witty and yeah. healing, healing movie. Oh, so, perfect. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many people go to see it, well, but it's, no, this it's is good it's there. When I went to see Dawn with the Wind, when they brought it back out for the anniversary, I went to the cinema to watch it, and I was I was just surrounded by people that would have seen it in the cinema first time round. Oh, right. 
first time around. Well, <laughs> you know, lots of they must have been old. were next to me. It's 1939, isn't it? Yeah, And it was yeah, one of the yeah. first big Technicolor... Yeah, epics. Well, the thing is, one these are film, films are made in Technicolor, so mm. it's the first development of colour movies. Yeah. Um, so they are very good. they're used to their... This is the thing, when they have... You can see it today where, like, James Cameron made a new camera and he made Avatar and it was a massive success, yeah. but... You forget how something as simple as like this movie's in colour and we're going to use that to our advantage, which is why they then find symbolism in colour in a way that they mm. never were able to. I'd love to, uh, filmmakers to go back and and you actually use the old those mm. old cameras. Yeah, again. I mean and it use must the... be expensive and it mm. must be t- like, but you can do it. Like, come on, mm. if you're making a new camera, surely you must be. Able to yeah. <laughs> Just use an old one, it's fine. Yeah, because that sort of almost grainy look as well is just so gorgeous. Like the so, aesthetic well, it's, of it. It's the same kind of colour you have in Wizard of Oz. Yes, there you exactly. go. There, there, you, there is a kind of element of Wizard of Oz mm-hmm. in Black Narcissus, isn't there? Yeah. Which, when yeah. I first saw that, that's kind of it's still quite magical, isn't it? it? It is literally still magical to this day when she opens the door in from sepia to colour. Mm. Like, even though I watched everything in colour today, that. Switch. Well, I, I guess things aren't coming around because now we have the CGI, which is a kind of a digital painting. Mm. So they are kind of things are getting more painterly. They do look a bit plastic. This in is because then you watch um, in comparison, you watch Oz the Great and Powerful with James Franco, mm. which is a terrible movie. Yeah. And they do the same thing where they have the opening sequence in black and white, and then when they get to Oz, they switch it to colour. But I can't even remember. I remember the hot air balloon mm. sequence within the tornado because that was good and it was good visually. It's sort of done, there's an innocence to the way it's done as well, isn't but there? I can't remember the switch from black mm. and white to colour. Um, and I should be able to because mm. it's. You clearly you do. Can in, in the Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for. Thank you. I'm glad you really enjoyed the movie. No, I really did. And it's got a very special movie to me. I think it's because yeah. I've, I've kind of grown up with it. I've watched the film, so it was a little bit of a chore to watch it last time because I've seen it so many times. <laughs> yeah. You because know, there's no, there's not the element of surprise. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So. But it's it's fascinating that you've taken it with you all of these years, and like. Well, it kind of follows you about because it. Kate Bush was very inspired by Michael Powell and did the album Red Shoes. Oh, yeah. And she met him before he died. Oh, wow. And, well, there's The Hounds of Love, which mm-hmm. has... There's another film I, as a childhood I saw, was Gone to Earth, which inspired Hounds of Love. So oh, there you go. Gosh. Big love of Kate yeah. Bush. Yeah, yeah, then yeah. realise the other people you love, love the people mm-hmm. you love. Yeah, and love, love, roll around. Yeah. Feeds from everything. Yeah, and feeds into everything. That's kind of That's the thing brilliant. I find interesting. The things that you love are always connected to other things, so you never really kind of they come back to you. Yeah, they follow definitely. You. It's yeah. almost full circle in this industry. But um, anything you want to plug? Where can we find you on social media? Uh, aside from being an actor myself, I also run the East Anglian Actors Network, which supports. Uh, actors in uh, Norfolk, Suffolk, Essex and Cambridge actors and as I work as a casting director sometimes I help them get work with work with actors, uh, offer them advice and support so and we're actually here today yes. to have our first <laughs> network meeting of 2020. Very excited. We're in the 1920s again. Yeah. <laughs> the roaring 20s. Yeah. So bring it on. Perfect. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on. It's an absolute pleasure. And we'll see you next time on Why This Film. Bye.
And you can follow Why This Film on Instagram at Why This Film Podcast. We're on Twitter at Why This Film Pod. And we're on Facebook at Why This Film Podcast. If you'd like to get in touch, come on as a guest or have any movies that you'd like to suggest, you can email into us at whythisfilmpodcast at gmail.com. Episodes come out every Tuesday in all your normal podcasting places. As a small business owner, you're always running, running to a meeting, running errands, running out of time. Now, one thing you don't have to worry about is running payroll. Meet Roll by ADP, a first-of-its-kind chat-based payroll app that's powered by AI. Roll is the faster, easier, smarter payroll app. So don't overthink it and say hello to a whole new way to payroll. Download the Roll by ADP app today or go to getroll.com slash chat. That's G-E-T-R-O-L-L dot com slash C-H-A-T. Why This Film Podcast has a Patreon. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it easy for artists and creators to get paid. Head to patreon.com forward slash why this film podcast and you can select a tier. For £3 a month, you can join Camelot and enjoy early access to episodes, including seasons one to three. You'll get to vote in polls and get a personal shout out on the pod. For £5 a month, you can join Fern Gully. With instant access to everything from Camelot, Fern Gully members can also enjoy bonus content, live episode voting power, plus access to monthly movie night. Grab your popcorn and a drink of your choice as we pajama up and watch a movie together remotely. And for £10 a month, you can join the Enchanted Forest, where on top of everything from Camelot and Fern Gully, you can be part of a live episode where we all discuss a movie chosen by you. And if you're not into 80s and 90s animated tiers, you can skip all that and make a custom pledge of an amount that suits you. Or you can head over to co-fi.com forward slash why this film podcast and buy me a coffee with a one-off payment. We'll be adding hot chocolate to that coffee and probably cream and marshmallows and sprinkles, but you don't need to worry about that. Thank you to all who donate, and thanks to my patron David for supporting this episode on Patreon. Why This Film Podcast is my happy place. I love chatting to guests and revisiting long-lost movies, and I hope you do too.